Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. to fully understand that we ourselves are representatives of the Most High God, of Jehovah, Almighty God, the one and true God. Each one of us who dare claim the name of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are representatives of the Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Each one of us are representatives of the kingdom of God and the purposes that he has for the world that's around us. Guys, if you haven't figured it out yet, that's the very reason that you're called into the kingdom. Do you know that you are a representative? In today's message from Pastor David, he reminds us that those that call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ are representatives of him. Anyone who believes in Jesus Christ as their savior is a representative of him and his kingdom. We are encouraged by Pastor David to live our lives in ways that represent him well. The way we live shows the world what we love. We are called into his kingdom to serve his kingdom and to represent him well. Now here's Pastor David with part one of his message, Apostles and Disciples. got your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to the book of 2 Timothy as we look at that this morning. As kind of a way of setting the scene for 2 Timothy, I'd like to read for you a, a rather lengthy quote from the book of Fox's Book of Martyrs. How many of you are familiar with Fox's Book of Martyrs? Fox's Book of Martyrs was written actually in the uh, 1500s. And it was a, a, a catalog or a history of those who had given their lives through martyrdom for the Christian faith. Of course, there are so many in the early empire that not all of those names are listed, but there are some particular ones that were listed. And the biggest thing that we see in Fox's Book of Martyrs is the reality of the persecution that came upon the church. So by way of setting the stage for 2 Timothy, I read from Fox's Book of Martyrs. He writes that the first persecution of the church took place in the year 67 under Nero. Understand that's only about 35 years or so after the time of Christ. Nero, the sixth emperor of Rome. This monarch reigned for the space of five years with tolerable credit to himself, but then gave way to the greatest extravagancy of temper and to the most atrocious barbarities. You're going to find in here words that I don't normally say because it's his book, not mine, okay? Among other diabolical whims, he ordered that the city of Rome should be set on fire, which order was executed by his officers, guards, and servants. 
While the imperial city was in flames, he went up to the tower, played upon his harp, sung the song of the burning of Troy, and openly declared that, quote, he wished the ruin of all things before his death, unquote. Beside the noble pile called the circus, many other palaces and houses were consumed. Several thousands perished in the flames, were smothered in the smoke, or burned beneath the ruins. This dreadful fire continued nine days when Nero, finding that his conduct was greatly blamed and a severe odium cast upon him, determined to lay the whole upon the Christians as once to excuse himself and to have an opportunity of glutting his sight with new cruelties. This was the occasion of the first persecution, and the barbarities exercised on the Christians were such as even excited the commiseration of the Romans themselves. Nero refined his cruelty and contrived all manner of punishments for the Christians that the most infernal imagination could design. In particular, he had some sewed up in skins of wild animals and then continually attacked by dogs until they expired. Others he dressed in shirts made stiff with wax, impaled them on poles stuck in the ground, and set them on fire in his gardens in order to illuminate them. This persecution was general throughout the whole Roman Empire, but it rather increased rather than diminished the spirit of Christianity. In the course of it, St. Paul and St. Peter were martyred. I share this with you this morning to help you get kind of a mindset of the events that were going on in the time frame that the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. This persecution, not just in Rome, where Paul at this point in time was imprisoned in a dungeon, but now it's beginning to spread all throughout the Roman Empire. He wrote 2 Timothy, not while under house arrest like he wrote 1 Timothy, but 2 Timothy, he was actually in a dungeon, chained there in a prison in Rome. And you don't have to read much to notice that the, the whole tenure of his epistle here to Timothy is strikingly different than that first letter. In 1 Timothy, that was written around 63 to 65 AD, um, we, we find out that Paul was instructing the pastor primarily on how to deal with issues within the church and how to be a good minister of the gospel. But here in the second letter, that that's written just prior to Paul's execution, which they believe took place around 67 AD. Timothy and the church in Ephesus were, were no doubt beginning to see these signs of this growing persecution. And as it began in Rome, it's now begun to stretch all throughout the empire and impacting the area of Ephesus. And very early on in this letter of 2 Timothy, Paul challenges Timothy. If you've got your Bibles, if you're at 2 Timothy, I'm going to be going through several verses in that book, just in laying the groundwork in the introduction. First one I want you to look at there is in chapter 1, down in verse 8, as Paul challenges Timothy. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Paul knew that his death was near, and he didn't write a, a, a swan song of woe is me, but what he did write was a letter of encouragement to this young protege, 
to continue on in that fight, even though it might mean great suffering to him, even though even for Timothy, it might bring about his death for the sake of the gospel. He encourages him to even share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. He wants him to fight, to press forward in the gospel, continue to proclaim that gospel message, the message of salvation, and the message of godly living for the believers of that day. If you flip over to chapter four, there in verse two, Paul tells Timothy to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season to convince, to rebuke, to exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Again, Timothy, don't back down from what you've been called to. Even when the persecution gets tough and when the press comes against you in such a difficult way, don't back down from proclaiming the gospel. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Timothy, do your very best. And here we have the words, the last words of a man who knows that his race is about to be completed. Still in chapter four, look down if you would in verse six. Paul writes, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. But I fought the good fight. I finished the race and I've kept the faith. Guys, we need to understand that as Paul is writing here, the struggle is, is real. The effects of the persecution on him personally because he's there in the dungeon with the understanding that he's soon to be executed. But for the church itself, that spreading and growing persecution impacting the church all throughout the Roman Empire in a very, very powerful way. We see this so clearly even in the differences between 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy in some of the wording of how Paul even words some things. In the first letter, he uses the word some in several instances. In the second letter, he changes it from some to all. You don't need to look at each of these, but let me give you an example. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, he said, some have turned aside. Chapter 1, verse 19, he says, some have made shipwreck. In chapter 5, verse 15, he said, some have turned aside after Satan. Chapter 6, verse 10, he said, some have been led astray. In chapter 6, verse 21, some have erred. But now when he gets to 2 Timothy, Paul writes in a much stronger, that there is a stronger wave of departure that's going on. He writes in 2 Timothy there in chapter 1, verse 15, a verse that we've already looked at, all have turned away from me. And in chapter 4, verse 15, all forsook me. Although he himself was chained there in a prison dungeon, Paul was very cognizant of the suffering that was going on within the church and the push for those who were members of the body of Christ to turn from their faith because, again, the, the press was so hard against them. His warnings to Timothy rise from the very core of his love for Timothy, but also his love for the church and his love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he knows we cannot turn even when the press comes against us. We must stay firm in what we believe, understanding not only what we believe, but why we believe it. Paul understood that the road to faithfulness is gonna be filled with strong persecutions and perhaps even death for a multitude of believers. Understand, Paul didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring. We have the advantage of looking back and seeing the history for Paul, this was the present 
with an unknown future. And as far as Paul knew, all of the church could very possibly lose their life for standing for the cause of Christ. Throughout this last letter, he charged Timothy. And in charging Timothy, he charges the whole church at that time. He charges them to persevere and to continue. Again, looking here in 2 Timothy in chapter 1, he says down in verse 13, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Down in verse 15, this you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me. In chapter two, verse one, he writes, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Down in verse 15, he writes, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And in chapter three, beginning in verse one, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. And then Paul goes on from there with a whole litany of situations of the last days. And we won't look at that much this morning, but understand, I believe that as he begins speaking, that men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, and on and on he goes. I don't believe that he's talking about the world. I believe he's talking about the church. Because beloved, the world was already that way. What would be the change? I believe that he's speaking that in those last days, there would be this falling away from those who come in and proclaim the name of Jesus, that there would be that great falling away. Down in verse 12 of chapter three, he writes, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Verse 14, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And then lastly, in chapter four, verse one, he says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, preach the word. And then verse five, but you be watchful of all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Gang, I believe that Paul was was. was rightly concerned for the church and all that was going on within the church. I believe that he was rightly concerned for Timothy. Timothy, that he himself wouldn't fall into that current apostasy that was going on within the church, falling away from the faith. And even though Timothy was a friend, he was a protege, he was a co-laborer in the ministry, he calls him a true son in the faith, a beloved son in the faith, Paul begins the letter with a clarity and reassertion of even his own apostleship in directing and, and pointing Timothy to the direction that he needed to go. Before I go on, I want to ask you the question, do you believe that there could come a time within the church today in the United States that we could fall under great persecution? What if I'm a baker and I refuse to bake a cake for the wedding of homosexual couples? Do you think that that's persecution when they uh, arrest me and fine me greatly? Absolutely. What happens if I'm a, a chaplain serving in the prisons or in the armed services and they tell me that I can no longer pray in Jesus' name and I can no longer proclaim the name of Jesus Christ? Do you think that that's persecution? Yeah. 
Guys, these things are going on right now today. If you don't understand that even today there is an ever-encroaching persecution and press against the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you don't understand that that's already coming about, you need to come out of your cave and start paying attention because it's happening and it's happening more and more. And Paul, in the authority of his apostleship, gives Timothy these warnings. Though you are my friend, as an apostle, I am giving these commands and these directions to you. Let's look here as we get into 1 Timothy, back to chapter 1, those first couple of verses. 2 Timothy chapter 1, he writes in a normal fashion. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, even though 2 Timothy, I believe, is is one of the most personable letters that Paul wrote in all of his epistles, yet here he feels, I believe, that it's necessary once again, with nearly the exact same introduction that he gives us in chapter 1, I believe that he feels that it's important to go ahead and state his apostleship one more time. I don't believe this is accidental. Uh, I don't believe that it's simply out of routine or a habit. The importance of the hour, the importance of the situation that was going on calls for Paul to once again declare his calling and his position. It's like when your boss and you, you are really good buddies and everything is really fine between you and your boss, but then something very important comes up in the business and suddenly your friend becomes your boss. You understand what's going on here. Paul, in the midst of this, because he understood the importance of all that's going on, stating once again, I am an apostle, he says, the apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life. I believe that he states this not so much for Timothy's sake, as much as for those that would read this after Timothy. Guys, those were important times, and he is giving them important words that they needed to pay attention to. For Paul to declare his apostleship was to declare the responsibility that he had before God and before the culture in which he lived and the culture in which he had influence. He had a responsibility from God as an apostle. As an apostle, that responsibility was to clearly and correctly demonstrate, declare, and assist in the organization of God's kingdom's work within that culture. That was his call. He went forward as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, not just to declare, but to declare and determine and to help assist in the kingdom's work within that culture that he lived. He was responsible to Jesus in the place, in the setting of that culture. And the importance of that position was based completely on the honor that was due the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I mean by that is, it's not just because he had a call on his life, but because that call was from the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I honor the Lord, that brings about a greater importance on what he's doing. That's what I see here going on at this point in time. As an apostle, Paul was passionate 
about representing Jesus Christ and God's kingdom accurately, regardless of his personal situation. Whether he's in a jail cell in the middle of the night with his ministry partner Silas, and they begin singing praises to God in the middle of the night, whether he's standing on Mars Hill as he debates the intellectuals of his day, or whether he is just ministering to the people in the culture that he lived. He wanted to make sure that his life and his words and his actions were a true representation of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the kingdom of God. But let me ask you, for you and I today, in the culture that we're living right now, how well do we represent Christ? In our everyday life, in our everyday actions, in our movings in and out of the culture in which we live, are we truly representatives of Jesus Christ? Or are we stealth Christians moving and interacting throughout the world without the world ever knowing truly the faith that we have and the hope that's ours? How about when we go through personal trials and and struggles within our lives? How well do we represent Jesus Christ? How well do we do as his representatives presenting his truth and his message to a lost and dying world that's around us? In the midst of my own trials, am I suddenly all about me or am I still able to give glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I still able to point people to the hope that's within me, though on the outside it looks like it is a hopeless situation? Is there an inner hope within you and I that then can shine through the apparent circumstances that we are surrounded with to truly declare that within us there is something far greater than this temporal world that we live in, that there is within us there is something far more supreme than the circumstances that we find ourselves surrounded with. Guys, each of us as believers in Jesus and as children of God, we need to know, we need to fully understand that we ourselves are representatives of the Most High God, of Jehovah Almighty God, the one and true God. Each one of us who dare claim the name of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are representatives of the Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Each one of us are representatives of the kingdom of God and the purposes that he has for the world that's around us. Guys, if you haven't figured it out yet, that's the very reason that you're called into the kingdom. We are called into his kingdom to be salt and light to the world that's around us. We are called into his kingdom to be those representatives to a lost and dying world that's around us. I want you to see today, the fact is is that each one of us, we have a portion of this call of apostle, that call of representative to the world. We can't get away from that. We are, each one of us, 
within the culture that we live. And each one of us, actually, we live in different portions of that culture. The friends that we have, the, the neighborhoods that we live in, the jobs that we go to daily, the families that we have, each one of us in our own particular culture, we are called, we have that calling of an apostle within our lives. No, that's not apostle with a capital A. It's not an office within the church. No, it is a place. It's a position. It's a ministry. It's a gift. It's a calling to be a representative to the world that's around us. That's all we have time for today on The Open Word. If you'd like to listen again to today's message or hear additional teachings by Pastor David, you can do so quite easily. In fact, Pastor David has that information to share with you right now. Thanks, Chris. The Open Word has an archive of previous messages ready to be listened to, downloaded, and shared at theopenword.com. Simply click on the teachings link at the top of the page. You can also take The Open Word with you as you go by subscribing to our podcasts. This can be done through our website or by searching for The Open Word on iTunes. By subscribing, you'll have sound biblical teachings with you anytime and anywhere. Thanks, Pastor David. That website once more is theopenword.com. The book of 2 Timothy is an insightful study on what the end of life looks like for a follower of Jesus. We can learn from the Apostle Paul's wisdom and attitude and his desire to continue serving Jesus every moment. It doesn't matter how old you are, what you've done, or who you are. Jesus has a plan for your life. As you're seeking the Lord's plan for your life, we'd like to join you in prayer. Please give us a call at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. We're so blessed to be able to share Pastor David's teachings with you on each edition of The Open Word. And we hope you'll tune in again to continue studying the book of 2 Timothy with us. Join Pastor David next time, right here on The Open Word. Make us more.